Welcome to the Brookwood Ministries podcast. I'm Josh Masters, the associate care pastor here at Brookwood Church. The following couple's testimony was recorded live at Celebrate Recovery and features the powerful story of Rick and Kristen Raby. Now, this testimony starts out a little bit different because Rick and Kristen decided to start their testimony by performing a skit that really means a lot to them, and then they delve into their personal story. So let's listen and learn how God transformed the lives and marriage of Rick and Kristen Raby. Hey. How you doing? Hey, what are you still doing with the suitcase? Just trying to make sense of all this. Makes sense. There's nothing to make sense of. I told you I want you to stay. No, you don't. Yes, I do. I want you to stay. No, you don't. It's not what you said last week. Yeah, but that was last week when I found out about all this. It's when you confessed everything to me. But I've had time, time to think about it and process it and pray about it and talk to people. And I want you to stay. Just give me the suitcase. I've humiliated you, us, our friends, our family, not to mention everybody at church. No telling what they're saying. No telling what they're saying. It doesn't matter what they're saying. Look, I'm not going to sugarcoat this. You have humiliated me. You've crushed me. You've turned my world upside down. And I know I've had some part in all this. But I want you to stay. I can't. Why? There's got to be some justice here. There are consequences for what I've done, and if if you're not going to do it, then I'm going to have to do it for the both of us. I've never been ashamed in all my life. You can't possibly want me to stay. Do you love me? Yes. Do you want to stay? Yes. Do you love her? That was never about love. Okay. Then stay. Hey, what's that you're looking at? Remember when we were kids? We used to play that game, Mercy. We'd take the other kids' hands back and we'd bend them back until they couldn't stand the pain. Then they cry mercy, and I've caused you so much pain. I've bent you back so far, and you've yet to cry mercy, and I don't understand that. I don't think it's about me crying mercy. I think I'm supposed to show you mercy, and I'm not that good at it. And I know I'm supposed to forgive you, and I do forgive you, but I might have to forgive you again tomorrow or next week or next year even because it's a process, but God's helping me with that process. You really want me to stay? I want you to stay. All this week I thought it was over. I thought we were done. I never in a million years thought I'd get us into this situation. But I've cost us so much. You haven't even begun to cost us. What's going to cost is that $125 a week over the next couple years as we unravel all this in therapy. That's what's going to cost us. 
Right. I'm just kidding, sort of. Hey, Rick, look at me. Look at me. I'm glad you're staying. This is going to be rough, isn't it? You know, when we stood up in front of God and, and all our family and friends and said for better or for worse, never knew how worse it could get. I'll take your stuff upstairs for you. Where do you want me to put it? Just put it in the guest room. For better or for worse, right? Right. Mercy God. That skit is a part of our lives. It may not have gone that quite as simple as the skit did, but it does illustrate um, some of the things we went through. I'm a grateful daughter of Christ, and I've struggled with codependency, anger, and resentment, and my name is Kristen. Hi. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for this opportunity to share the work that you've done in our lives, and I just pray, Lord, that you have a message for each person here tonight, and and I just thank you for what you've done in our lives, and I just pray that it will show the hope that is always there, even when we can't see it. And thank you, just thank you for loving, loving us so much. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. So I grew up in a military home. My mom was a good codependent housewife, trying to keep the peace and make sure everyone was happy. My dad was an army officer. He was very strict, and appearances were important. I learned that what you could acquire materially mattered and was part of our identity. We were supposed to be good, quiet kids, not causing any embarrassment to the family. Dad had high expectations of us, so I studied hard and got good grades and did my best to stay out of trouble or at least not get caught. I watched how my older brother was punished by Dad and had a fear of receiving that same punishment. I walked on eggshells a lot of times because I didn't want to make my dad angry. I packed those eggshells up and took them with me into my marriage and continued to walk on them to try to keep a peaceful home. In the end, it was exhausting, trying to please everyone, trying to do it all so everyone would be happy, and trying to control the chaos around me. Being in the military, we moved every three to four years. It was hard starting a new school where all the kids already knew each other and had grown up together. I felt like an outsider. I was shy and insecure, so I began to create masks for different people hoping to fit in. I wanted people to like me, so I became a people pleaser. So where was God in all this growing up? He was at my grandma's house, or at least he visited there sometimes, not at my home. I only heard about God from going to church when we visited grandma. And what I figured out was that he was there to call on in a crisis, but not a part of our daily life. Our priorities were money and things, family, friends, and vacations. God was not on the list. I am a faithful follower of our Lord Jesus Christ, and I have been delivered from a lifelong battle of chemical abuse and drug addiction, and my name is Rick. I was born in Washington, D.C. in 1965 and grew up most of my years in Manassas, Virginia. My dysfunction started at the young age of seven. We were seasoned ticket holders at RFK Stadium for the Washington Redskins. 
This is where I learned that my dad could fit 12 beers in my long jacket and sneak me through security. I also learned that flipping people off and cussing was cool. I learned that sports were our god and partying with the boys was the way to live. Between the ages of 8 and 13 would be the worst years of my life. I would endure many years of both physical and sexual abuse. I remember that in second or third grade, the teachers tried to get involved, but nothing happened. I do remember, remember feeling that something was wrong with me, and I felt alone and petrified. Through the years, the thoughts of the physical pain had left me, but the words of those years have remained. The message was, you are no good and you are worthless. My home that was meant to be safe was anything but. The men in my life who I, who I was supposed to trust let me down, and my innocence was taken from me. We were a church-going family that attended church regularly, unless, of course, the Redskins were at home. When they weren't, I remember us rushing home from church to get settled for the game. I would run for his beer from the fridge and sit with him and help him score his parlay cards. My dad, the bookie. I thought that was cool. Sports and alcohol would become me and my dad's love language throughout the years. It didn't take long for these events to change me and my thought patterns. Very soon, I'd become isolated, depressed, and would develop deep-rooted self-esteem issues. I do remember praying to God, but my God didn't have time for me. <clears throat> I would ask him why he is letting this happen. I just remember always crying and thinking, why does everyone hate me? I thought God's message to me was, you are a mistake. I felt so insecure about myself. I would find at a very early age that drugs became my coping mechanism, along with pornography that was very available around the house. I would find myself doing the best I could to stay away from my family. This would be my pattern throughout high school, drugs and isolation. This would eventually get me into a rehab at age 16, one month lockup at a local hospital. This is where I would learn the language of recovery and spend many hours in smoke-filled meetings drinking really bad coffee. This was in 1981. Most of my high school days were spent with my high school sweetheart. This is a whole book of its own. We would experience an on-again, off-again relationship and have an abortion in our senior year. We would also be married a year later, join the military, and move to Germany, have two boys, and divorce two years later. Again, I would suffer both physical and verbal abuse from her. When I started to fight back, it was, I knew it was time to quit. So there I was, 20 years old in the military, a single parent of a two- and one-year-old. God would soon send me my soulmate. The minute she laid eyes on me, I knew she was hooked. <clears throat> I'm sure she thought, wow, this guy has his stuff together. That would be short-lived when on the second date she picked up a baby shoe on the couch. Now, I know offensive language has no place in a Christ Center group, so I'll clean it up a bit for you. She said, what the heck is this? I simply said, we need to talk. After a short conversation, I asked her if she wanted to see the boys because they were in their cribs upstairs. She immediately fell in love with them. I knew then that I found somebody that was able to fix me. Oh, sorry, that's her testimony. <laughs> After growing up in a military family, I was ready to leave the life of moving around the country. I would never marry a military man. But then I met Rick. 
After a couple of dates, I found out he was in the Army, had two kids who he had full custody of, and was legally separated, not divorced, from his wife. But it was too late. I was already hooked. This man was handsome, sweet, and he needed me. I could fix things for him. At 18 years old, I had already learned that I knew everything. I had the answer to everything, and I always knew what was best. This was something I learned from my dad. His sense of superiority became mine. So two years after I met him, his divorce was final, and we got married. I began my 12-step recovery plan for Rick to form him into the image I wanted him to be. This was a little bit different than the 12 steps and the eight principles based on Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, which God uses to transform us into the image he designed for us. But at that time, I was my own God, and I could be Rick's God, too. There we were, and a happy, instant family, ready to start our life together with our two boys. Over the next 20 years, we would experience a loss of our boys in a custody hearing, deployments that were too too many to count, parting with the boys in a life that was anything but God-centered. During these years, I can tell you I had no relationship with God. We would occasionally go to church and occasionally pray if I needed something, but God was not invited into our lives or our marriage. What I did discover from those decades is that we couldn't flee from our problems because no matter where we went, we kept showing up. Through the normal hardships of life, I had a choice in my relationships and people that I was not going to allow anyone to let me down. My heart would be hardened and my void would become bigger. I would blame the world, my job, my circumstances, and my wife. We could have things perfect by worldly standards, but something in me wasn't right. I got real good at finding fault in things around me. I needed a reason to justify my emptiness. From the outside looking in, we had a wonderful life. We put on our masks and made sure we looked good to the world, but we didn't have peace in our hearts or our home. Growing up, I never had roots, and I thought those roots would be found in a happy marriage with kids, pets, and a nice house, but the roots were only found in God. I just didn't understand this. We would have our happy moments. We would have two beautiful children together and live in places like Hawaii and England, but we were only happy because of our circumstances. We were not grounded in faith, so when troubles came, we fell apart. We depended on each other for our happiness instead of God. That is a burden neither of us deserved because we can never fill the place in our hearts that is reserved only for God. We would never be truly connected to each other until we connected with Jesus first. But at that time, we didn't see our need for him. My insecurity about myself led me to want to control everything and everyone around me. I had a white picket fence dream, and I did all I could to keep that dream alive. He struggled with addiction. I struggled with ignoring it, trying to fix it, trying to replace it with other more acceptable addictions. I used manipulation, control, guilt, and anything else I could think of. Of course, in my mind, everything we went through was his fault or his ex-wife's fault or someone else's fault. I had no part in any of it. I was doing my best to keep everything under control and to keep everyone under control. I could not be happy unless the people around me were happy or at least kept their masks on and pretended to be. I was very selfish and didn't even realize it. I did not know how to love Rick well. I never saw love in my family growing up and didn't understand what it meant to love someone or how to show love to someone. I never heard the words, I love you. I thought love meant 
buying something for someone or just not fighting. I never knew how to show love through words or actions. Although we would experience many good times, we'd also experience many sinful and devastating times. My drug abuse would deepen, a pornography addiction would grow, and eventually infidelity. This is the darkest part of my testimony. A loving wife who wanted to offer forgiveness, but I couldn't accept it. How could I? I had too many demons that hadn't been dealt with. I couldn't fathom at that time that this was my unforgiveness from my past. I couldn't forgive the people who hurt me, so how could she forgive me? How could God forgive me? I believe there comes a time in our lives that when you live a godless life and ignore God's knocking, he eventually gives us into our sin. I believe this is what happened to me. My heart was so hard and I had no consciousness of my sinful behavior. It was very painful and not easy, but I did forgive Rick. I didn't know it then, but looking back, I know that this was biblical grounds for divorce, but it's also biblical grounds for forgiveness. It was a process. I had to forgive day after day until it became real in my heart, until my feelings caught up with my words. Although I didn't acknowledge him, God was a part of that process. Maybe part of it for me was that I only knew one life and I couldn't imagine any other life. I was comfortable in my chaos because it was what I was used to. I also knew that I had a part in the dysfunction of our marriage, although I would not admit it. Many years would pass. We have our ups and downs, and we would eventually find our way to South Carolina. This only happened because one night we decided to leave Virginia, and we simply pointed it at a map, and under our finger was Greenville, South Carolina. Isn't God cool? We'd both find jobs, we'd build a home, and life couldn't be better, right? We decided at some point it was time to get back to church so we could just thank God for all the stuff. When we were trying to choose a church, our daughter would lose two close friends in a car accident that would place Brookwood Church right in our path. Two teenage boys lost their lives on Christmas Eve 2007. The funeral was here at Brookwood. This would be the first time I stepped foot in this church. Something pulled me back after the funeral and we would start attending. I cannot imagine the pain of the two families who lost their children, but I can tell you that God used that tragedy for good in our lives. God showed up in someone else's pain to redeem my family. It was during these first few months, during these first few months of wanting to get back to church that life would systematically and meticulously start to fall apart. We would experience family tragedy through the death of Kristen's aunt and uncle in a car crash. One of my dear friends would drown in the Saluda River, and my daughter would start having seizures, and eventually came the job loss. This was all within just a few short months. But for me personally, it started my battle with God. It would be in that time that I would find crack cocaine and methamphetamines. I would spend the next few years pursuing my drug addiction and running from God. God was out to get me. It was during this time when my depression would go to get to its lowest point. I thought I had lost my soul, and I'd never been so scared in all my life. I was filled with anger, suspicion, and fear. 
Rick was in and out of the house, and I was never sure if he would come home. I let my pain out through anger and hurtful words towards my children. I hurt them because they were there. I was losing control of things I never really had control over. We struggled because of the job loss, and God would start stripping us of our earthly idols. I started turning to God, asking him to fix it all. When I realized that I couldn't control the people around me, I turned to what I could control. My house was always clean. The yard always looked good. Maybe if I could make everything look good on the outside, then the inside would follow. But it didn't happen that way. I tried to hide in busyness, hoping that I would be so exhausted at the end of the day that I could go to sleep at night. That didn't work either. My thoughts would race. I would stew, worry, cry, get angry, and not sleep. One night I was lying in bed, very depressed. Rick was gone somewhere, and I had been on the phone with him, but getting nowhere. I was crying out to God for help, feeling very hopeless. The kids were upstairs asleep, and I was all alone. I had the phone in one hand, and the other hand lying over the side of the bed. Then I felt someone holding my hand. It was a strong yet gentle grip. I was startled and looked around through my tears, but no one was there. But my hand was still being held firmly. I knew Jesus had come to hold my hand. He was letting me know that he was with me, and I will never forget that moment of God's love. It was during this time where we would try our hand at counseling at Brookwood. We would go a few times, but once I saw the counselor couldn't fix my wife, I slowly lost interest. My drug addiction would finally get me to Virginia, calling it quits on our marriage. Because, of course, everything was Kristen's fault and not mine. I believe it was in this time that God started to break both of us down so he could start the rebuilding process. After 20 years of trying to play God in my life and the lives of those around me, I finally got tired. The mask I had worn for years was worn out and heavy, and so were all the alternate masks that I carried around with me to use when I needed them. I was weary emotionally and physically. Money was running out. The the house was headed toward foreclosure. I couldn't handle my emotions anymore. I surrendered it all to God. My marriage, my kids, my home, my life. I told him I would trust him with whatever happened. I was tired of doing this, and I needed him to take over. And it still amazes me today that the minute I stopped playing God, he started working in our lives. I had spoken to Kristen. She didn't want to talk to me anymore, and she couldn't take it. This is when God answered Kristen's prayers and began his intervention. I was lying down in my brother's house in Virginia, and something or someone whispered, Go rescue your wife. I was frantic. Within 10 minutes, I wrote a note to my brother, threw everything in the truck, and drove eight hours back to South Carolina. There I was at home, trying to repair what was too damaged, my marriage, my relationship with my kids, and me. But my desire to use was strong. Out of the blue, I received a text. Did I need anything? Before I could text back and say yes, my wife found the text. It was... In the first part of November, I didn't go. I felt so disgusted with myself that I was losing everything and still felt this urge to use. Something was still missing. But something was a little different. I started reading the Bible and listening to a few Christian worship songs. I was still unemployed and home alone. 
Over those past few months, we would try celebrate recovery. We faded in and out, but I would remember principle two, earnestly believe that God exists, that I matter to him, and that he has the power to help me recover. And happy are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. It was hard to think that I mattered to him. I didn't think I mattered to anyone. I remember being at, a, being at home. <sighs> it's going to come. <laughs> I remember being at home, reading the Bible, but something was very wrong. I was still detoxing, detoxing, and I wanted to use badly. I was restless and depressed. I knew I had to make the choice to either be good or to use. I'd spent my whole life asking God for something or to get me out of something. But that day, I had nothing to offer God. It was like my body was being ripped in two, and I cried out to God with everything I had in me. All the guilt and shame I had stored up for so long came pouring out of me. I told God I had nothing, that my life is yours. Take my life, my marriage, take everything, and I just emptied my soul to God. All I can tell you is before I went to sleep that night, I was a detoxing drug addict, and I woke up with that urge totally wiped away. How can a person have so many idols that I thought were important in life and wake up with their power vanished? How can a person go to sleep a defiant sinner and wake up the next morning in a total love relationship with Jesus Christ? The scales had fallen off my eyes. I would latch on to 1 Timothy 15 through 16 that says, this is a trustworthy saying and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners and I am the worst of them all. But God had mercy on me so Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinner. It was in that moment that I knew I was stamped for eternity. The whole time I was running for God thinking he was out to punish me. All as he wanted to do was embrace me. He also told me, I'm not here to punish you. I've already punished my son. What I had been trying to do for 20 years, God did in a few hours when I stepped out of his way. God gave me a man who loved him with all his heart and showed him how to love me. We each had to find our own relationship with God separately before we could work on our relationship together. We had to bring God into the center of our marriage. In 2008, I walked into the doors of Celebrate Recovery with high hopes that this would be the place where my husband got his act together and my life would be happy again. I was tired of trying to fix him and ready for someone else to do it. There was nothing wrong with me. This mess was all his fault. We would come to large group and then quietly escape before share groups started. For me, large group was safe. I could be part of the crowd. If I went to a share group, someone might notice me or talk to me. I had a problem trusting women as I had been hurt by gossip and rumors in the past. I didn't think I would fit in. I never felt like I fit in growing up, so why would this be different? When we finally decided to stay for share groups, I realized the fears I had did not come true. I realized this was a safe place, and I was not the only one who carried burdens and had issues. I really was not alone in this. I saw women being real and trustworthy. This was new and refreshing to me. I eventually joined a step study and was able to really take a look at myself and my past mistakes and hurts. Step study helped me to examine me instead of examining my husband. I actually did an inventory on my life instead of Rick's life. I learned to stop looking at everyone else around me and start looking in the mirror. 
I found that if I surround myself with healthy people, I could be free to be myself and know that I would not be judged or criticized. There's so much freedom in not having to carry a variety of masks around with me. I also began to see in people the brokenness behind their actions. I came to understand the hurting little boy living inside of Rick. And in, the, in those hard times, he, wasn't, he was not waking up every day thinking, okay, how can I hurt Kristen today? It really wasn't about me. It was about the pain he carried. Principle one says, realize I am not God. I first had to learn who God really is and then give up the idea that I could do his job. And step two says, we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves can restore us to sanity. There were many days I felt the world around me had gone crazy, that I was going crazy. I was on a ride that was spinning out of control. At the end of myself, I realized I needed God to take over and restore my sanity. Jesus has put our lives into perspective. The things I used to worry about or think were were important aren't so important anymore. I finally realized that it is the relationships, not the stuff, that will last into eternity. I can look back now and see that God was always there, always beside me, even when I didn't realize it. I just couldn't see him because I was so wrapped up looking around at my circumstances and the people around me. My brokenness is what led me to God. If I had never experienced the difficult things that led me to him, I would never have realized my need for him in my life, and I would have never experienced the peace and joy of knowing him. So today I can be thankful for the trials that led me to the feet of Jesus. I soon found myself in my first step study peeling the onion. God would use the 12 steps to go to places in my heart where I ran from my entire life. Hurts I didn't think affected me that bad until I talked about them. But as those hurts came out, God would heal them. God would also use us to become leaders at CR right in the middle of our forever family. I can't tell you how much God has used our church and CR to rebuild my life, my marriage, and my family. We also soon would join the counseling team where we can encourage other couples to never, ever give up. God also used this church and ministry to surround me with men who are after God's heart, men I could trust, men I could share with, and men who wouldn't let me down. God had especially used this time to show me how to love my wife. I loved my wife the first day I met her, but had no idea how to love her. I am a firm believer that humans don't have the capacity to truly love without Christ in our hearts. I am so thankful to have walked this journey. I still have my moments. Depression tries to creep in sometimes, and the voice shows up every once in a while to try to throw me off track. But I have an overcoming Savior who's bigger than things that can, life can throw at me. So if you are still on the run and lost in your wilderness, stop, because you have a God that wants to meet you in your brokenness and embrace you. There were things that I used to idolize my husband, my children, my home, my possessions. I thought all these things would bring me happiness, but it was not their purpose. I could be happy for a short time, but in the long run, those things never brought me inner peace. They never lived up to my expectations. Only God has brought that missing peace into my life. Life did not suddenly fall into place and get easy when I surrendered to Jesus. In fact, a lot of difficult things came our way and still do. Since the journey began, I've walked through the loss of my brother to cancer, my mom's struggle and my da- with my dad's infidelity, the loss of my grandmother, the struggle of addiction in our children, and the challenge of living with a five-year-old grandson. 
I now know that the people I love, God loves so much more, and I can trust him with them. If I let him, Jesus will hold my hand and guide me through the storms. Yesterday's struggles brought me to him, and today's struggles keep me from wandering away from him. I don't have to hide from my pain or my fears anymore. I can face them knowing they're just part of the journey, and God's grace will always help me through. Matthew 28, 20 promises, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. God protects my heart with his peace. God has stamped me with Philippians 4, 7, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. God has redeemed our marriage and made it a healthy marriage like he intended it to be, with him being our foundation. We renewed our vows right here in this chapel on our 25th wedding anniversary and have now been married 29 and a half years. It is a blessing to be able to serve and teach alongside my husband in CR and in the counseling ministry. I encourage you to trade the weight of the world, the burden you may be carrying with the weight of Jesus. He says in Matthew 11, 28 through 30, Come to me, all you who, who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In closing, the center focus of this ministry is our higher power, Jesus Christ. So if you are here tonight and you are hurting, Jesus is bigger than your hurts. If you are here tonight and you are addicted, Jesus is bigger than your addiction. If you are here tonight and your marriage is falling apart, Jesus can restore it. Jesus is our Yahweh Rafika, the Lord who heals. Thanks for letting us share. Thanks for listening. If you were moved by Rick and Kristen's story, I want to encourage you to check out Celebrate Recovery on Thursday nights here at Brookwood Church. You can learn more by going to www.brookwoodchurch.org slash Celebrate Recovery. Or you can call our care department at 864-688-8355. We'd love to talk to you. Again, thanks so much for listening and have a great day.